0: Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another hour of Sportsnet today. Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you on this Wednesday, June 7th. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Lots to get to this hour. We're going to hear from uh, Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division Insider been you around the pacific division with lots of news over the last little bit Ooh. uh a new coach in the pacific division a trade in the pacific division uh and a team in the stanley cup final all from the same division so we'll get to uh that in just a few minutes here this hour on Sportsnet today also uh some trade buzz around the league that we'll get to and uh we'll check in on the stanley cup final too but uh i thought i'd start off the hour by uh Just convening an executive meeting of the Michael Backlund Fan Club, the official Michael Backlund Fan Club, um, which is uh, chaired by yours truly and co-chaired by Aaron Vickers. Uh, Two big Backlund fans uh, in this room right now. And Michael Backlund's heading to Nashville. He will be headed to the NHL Awards for the first time in his career because he is a finalist along with Edmonton's Darnell Nurse and Anders Lee of the New York Islanders for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy, which every year is presented to a player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. And uh, on all three fronts, Michael Backlund sure as hell fits that bill. So you and I are going to Nashville for the we NHL are. draft in uh, a couple weeks' time, just over two weeks' time. And uh, there will be some Flames representation there uh, in the form of Michael Backlund. Good for him. This is as deserving as I can remember. Good for him. A really, really cool honor to see him a finalist for the King Clancy.
2: Does this mean that there's going to be a convening of the Michael Backlund fan club with Michael Backlund on a red carpet at an award show? I
1: don't know. I mean, I can't sit here Cause and Because I'd be you spectacular. T- I can't tell you no.
2: Can you tell me yes?
1: Please, 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 please? I think it will definitely... Definitely we will track him down at least once when we're there for uh, an official exclusive interview and all that jazz. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. The NHL awards are the Monday, the 26th. So that is two weeks from Monday are the NHL awards in Nashville. And then the draft goes Wednesday, Thursday of the final week of June.
2: Definitely deserved, Deserved Deserved by Michael Backlund. There's a lot he does for the community of Calgary that we're able to see and witness. If you follow him on Instagram, you see a lot of his charitable endeavors. There's a lot that he does that we don't see as well. And he doesn't do these sorts of things to be nominated for awards at any level, whether it be with the Calgary Flames team themselves, league-wide, provincially, whatever. He's just a good dude. And you cheer for good dudes. That's why you're the president of the fan club. That's why I'm the vice president of the fan club. So from our perspective, it's nice to see him acknowledged yeah. for the work he puts in.
1: And and the um, the the work that he puts in includes parachutes for pets. Yep. Uh, we had him on Flames Talk last week. He oh. uh, joined uh, he joined Wes and I. You we were still gallivanting in Helsinki. What were we supposed to do? Say no when uh, when he was offered to us just to wait for you? Fair enough. Um, yeah, we had him on last week, and we talked about him being a um, not a finalist, but the team nominee for the King Clancy. And you know, he did. Uh, he started parachute for uh, parachutes for pets with his wife Frida, and uh, they have been working with the ALS Society for uh, of Alberta for years now, pretty much ever since Michael and and Frida started uh, started dating and and became a couple. And he's been involved with Special Olympics Calgary. Jeez. Ah, much Since from he's the been a Flame, I think. I, I, I know that he has been my, my association with them and, and all the volunteering and, and work that I've done with Special O Calgary. He has been the Flame's ambassador the entire time. He's been to the Breakfast with Champions uh he has uh been out at a number of other events he's been out there as a special referee for for some of the the big games he's been out there just last week uh it was him and dylan dubay or the week before him and dylan dubay were out playing soccer with some of the special o athletes so uh, the, the the guy has been such a fixture in the calgary community since getting here he's also and and those those are the three right now he's done a lot of work in the past kids cancer care and like the guy has taken, he talks a lot about living a privileged life and, and how lucky he is, and so he's really taken that to heart about getting back and, and giving back as best as he can to his uh, adopted city, and, and I give him a lot of credit because it's basically been from day one that he's been doing that stuff.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's incredible the amount of work that he puts into I don't even want to call it extracurricular activities because he, he lends himself to such great causes. But like balancing an NHL career with all the extra things he does to the community, he's certainly a valued member yeah. of of he's he's a Calgarian at this point. He's a Calgarian and it'll be interesting not to make it about his playing future, but I always picture him as a Calgarian and, and wearing a Calgary Flames jersey. So I mean, this is just an additional reason why you want to keep them as a member of the Calgary Flames and why you want to keep them as a member of the Calgary community.
1: Um, and just quickly, a update on the Flames coaching search. We'll get more into this on Wednesday's Flames Talk, which will be uh, coming up live at 4 o'clock Calgary time. And wherever you get your podcast on the Flames Talk podcast feed, we'll go more into detail on Flames Talk. But uh, their coaching update... We told you on yesterday's Flames Talk, on Tuesday's Flames Talk. We told you that the finalists, three of the finalists in that final group, we told you Travis Green, Mitch Love, and Ryan Huska. Elliot Friedman backed that up on the 32 Thoughts podcast, also added Todd Reardon to that mix. So, uh, yeah, always good to have Elliot uh, back up what you said the day before, it always makes you feel like maybe you're to something and not completely off base. So that always makes you feel good. So we told you yesterday, green as uh, one of the leading external candidates and those two internal candidates, Huska and love. And now you had Todd reared into that mix from Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 thoughts podcast as well.
2: Be curious. He does have head coaching experience in the NHL as well as a plethora of work as an associate, as an assistant, his body of work is there. He's put in the time. Both on the bench elsewhere. He's another candidate that now we're going to talk about. And now there's two key external, two key internal candidates. It'll be curious to see where this goes because, as you said, I feel like we're getting to the short strokes of this and we could see an announcement. In the very near future, yeah,
1: I don't think we're that far off. As, as I, I think I used the term on Tuesday's Flames talk in the pocket. Yeah, I think that we're kind of that's a good term. Uh, I think we're kind of um, straddling when it's going to happen. Does it happen before the end of the week? Does it happen early next week? That's pretty much what we're talking about right now. I think that we're within days of getting the official announcement. I think the Flames, if they have, I, I don't know if they've settled. If I don't know if they've made their decision as of yet, but they sure are damn close, and they've got their final. They've got their final group.
2: And just to highlight Reardon a little bit more, he's been in. A assistant coach at the ncaa level he's been an assistant coach at the american hockey league level he's been a head coach at the american hockey league level he spent somewhere around eight to ten seasons as an assistant coach in the nhl and he had that stint a year and a half stint with the washington capitals from 2018 to 2020 commanding their bench
1: so, we are underway this hour on Sportsnet today. It is uh, Wednesday. It's June 7th. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Hopefully your Wednesday is going along very, very nicely. The Stanley Cup Final resumes Thursday night, 6 o'clock in Florida for Game 3, with the Panthers trailing two games to none in the 2023 Stanley Cup Final. So we've got a Pacific Division team in the Cup Final, and we got all kinds of Pacific Division news on top of that. As we say hello down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, to our pacific division insider wednesdays we check in with jonathan davis and jd joins us right now from la hello jd how we doing Doing great. How are you guys? Uh, Doing well, doing well, and and, uh, good to have you on as always. I want to get to some of the Pacific Division news, a big trade involving the LA Kings, uh, some news out of Anaheim and Seattle as well, but let's start with the Stanley Cup Final because the Vegas Golden Knights representing the Western Conference in the Cup Final, and they're two games away from their first ever Stanley Cup. Just uh, your thoughts on the first two games of the Cup Final and uh, Vegas winning both of them by rather lopsided scores
3: well i i'd say dominating would be one word for the most part i mean you know pat i wasn't sure after game one you know how how much trouble florida may be in only because you know they didn't play their best game they were tied at two after 40 minutes and then you know the ice caved in on them uh and they you know they tried to make the game a bar fight and then they tried to do the same thing in game two Uh, vegas has just done a phenomenal job and you know, I, I guess, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised because as as a greater run that the Edmonton Oilers had down the stretch, they couldn't get past the Vegas Golden Knights for that top seed. So, you know, Vegas just continues to do what they've done in the regular season. I mean, you know, what is it? It's uh, 18 different guys or 19 different guys with a goal and 20 with a point And, you know, you've – you know, and you know, obviously right now, Jonathan Marchessault is on – Quite a heater, to say the least, with 12 goals in the last 12 games, and Aiden Hill, who didn't wasn't didn't have to be the difference, I don't think, in the first three rounds. You know, has been the difference at least on a couple of key key moments through the first two games.
1: Yeah, well, and that's and that's one of the areas that I don't know if it's gotten enough talk, and that is the the goaltending disparity. I don't think Bobrovsky was bad in Game One, but he was outplayed by Hill. He gets pulled in game two, and as much as it was a seven-two final, uh, I, I thought Hill was very, very strong once again. Like Aiden Hill, kind of quietly, because of how lopsided the scores have been, has been a really, really important part of this through two games.
3: He has, but I think you know, look outside of the Nick Cousins, you know, incredible uh, paddle save. I think they, you know, Vegas has done a great job in allowing him to see the puck and. You know, any goaltender will tell you it definitely makes it a lot easier if you can see and you're not. You know, Bob's had a fight, fight around defensemen or, or the opposing forward. Eden Hill has not had to do that, and that's just a credit to the way Vegas has played all year and continued in the playoffs. And I'm not here to minimize what he's done. It's just, this is really, you know, this has been a total team effort, and Vegas shows you why. You know, and I think you know that they were able to play with five different goalies during the regular season. They stick to a system; it doesn't matter who's in net. They don't change the way they play, and yeah. it's really shown here in the playoffs. Who's
1: uh, who's your con Smythe uh, front runner if Vegas ends up winning? Is it Eichel? Is it Marciasso? Like, who's your who is your Conn Smythe front runner for them?
3: Yeah, there's no question; it's Jonathan Marciasso. And you know, going uh, what was it going into game. Two, you know, you could uh, get Jonathan Marchessault at plus 450. Um, after game two, he's now the the he is the clubhouse leader at minus 105. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, right now with the betting community, he is the odds-on favorite right now, and and I think that's fair. I mean, you know, goals definitely sell. Uh, J- Jack Eichel has played great, uh, been a really good 200 foot player. As we like to say, William Carlson has done a solid job as well in shutting down the opposition, especially at five-on-five play. But you know, 12 goals in 12 games for Jonathan Marshall has boosted him, you know, to the top of the betting board.
1: And and finally, on the Cup final, just I, I know that we talk about the Pacific Division, and that's that's mainly our focus. But just a thought on Florida: we know that they have been on the ropes before and have bounced back, and have one a series going back to round 1 just are they done are are, are the florida panthers still to be heard from here
3: yeah well you, you know you just based upon what they did against boston you know they were able to dig themselves out of a 3-1 hole and god I wish I had the, the stones to to take a, a flyer on them to win the cup at at that point they were 178 to 1 to win the cup yeah i mean i think that they you know that they they're still alive, but they can't try to play this bar fight game against Vegas. Who wants no part of it.
1: Yeah, that is very true. And, uh, they need, they need Matthew Kachuk to stop falling into that bar fight. I like that, that bar fight type of mentality, uh, yeah. because he, yeah. he just hasn't been the same guy through the first two games of this series. They need him to get away from the antics and get back to being an elite hockey player.
3: There's no question. There, there's no question about it that, uh, But that's
1: the case. Uh, We're talking to Jonathan Davis. He is our Pacific Division insider from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. He joins us Wednesdays here on Sportsnet Today. Let's dive in on that big three-way trade involving the L.A. Kings. And and L.A. in terms of what they return tangibly. Yeah, not the the sexiest of returns in that Philadelphia-Columbus deal that they were a part of yesterday. Just uh, your thoughts on that three-way trade that saw... Cal Peterson is a, as a big piece moved out. They uh gave up a second round pick in the move just over uh, overall. What's your feeling on that three-way trade from an LA perspective?
3: Yeah, I think Rob Blake hit a, a grand slam. Uh it was phenomenal. You know, cap space is king. How you know, being able to move Cal Peterson uh and his 5 million dollar contract uh you know, that that's huge. And you know, the other two Players that they moved, you know, Sean Walker and and uh, and Gronz, uh, who was playing in the Ontario League. I mean, it, you know, they've got enough depth on defense that you know they're they're not going to miss these guys. There's just only so many spots, so uh, you know, and that even gets accentuated by the you know re-signing Gavrikov to the two-year deal. So they traded guys that I don't think we're going to be you know necessarily on their roster next season. Uh, So, yeah, that's a huge, huge success for Rob Blake. Now, he still has a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. They have to find themselves a goalie. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they're still in the same situation that they were last season. You know, don't know what's going to happen with Corpus and if it's not, they can't re-sign him. You know, that's still the big question in Los Angeles. And then they've got – he's still got other contracts to deal with. I mean, they have to make – you know, they've got other signings they need to make. Gabe Velarde, you know, being one that you know, two years ago we never would have thought, oh, really they're going to have to sign Gabe. Big deal. Well, you know, they're going to have to sign Gabe, and that number is going to have to start with at least a four. And you've already got guys like Trevor Moore and Alex follow making, you know, just over four. And then you've got one year left with Victor Arvidsson, and he's at five and change. And I they they can't afford to keep all three of those forwards, and so Rob Blake still has a lot of work to do. But for yesterday, you know, he definitely deserves you know a big uh, a big pat on the back.
1: What uh, what is your read specifically? I'll I'll ask you about Gavrikov's contract in a second, but goaltending. What's your read? Is is this a scenario where we see them take a run at re-signing Corpusalo? Is that in the cards for you?
3: Well, I mean, Corpus Allo or or anybody else, I mean, sure, I, I don't know. It, it should be on the table. I mean, you know, now that you've you've gotten rid of Cal, I mean, it, it does, you know, it's not a contract you have to worry about, you know, trying to bury some mm-hmm. or, or, or even buy out. So, yeah, I mean, anything is on the table for, for the L.A. Kings. It's just a matter of what they can fit into their budget. But, you know, are you going to hope that Phoenix Copley, you know, can can be what he was last year? Uh, you better hope right now. Um, so we'll we'll see where it goes. But they, you know, if this team, that, look, there, there's no rebuilding in Los Angeles. It's just, I guess, retooling. Um, you know, if they want to make another run, they've got or try to make any right. bit of a run, they're going to have to find themselves a goalie, Pat. And here's the thing, like you know. For, for L.A., all the talk coming into the playoffs this year is that, hey, we should be better against Edmonton because we've got a healthy Drew Doughty, we've got a healthy Victor Arvidsson, and we've got Kevin Fiala, who we didn't have on the roster before. Yet they still couldn't find a way to get out of round one. There's still a lot of work to be done with this team.
1: What do you make of the Gavrikov signing? And it's a short-term signing. The 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 dollar figure, like the AAV, very very palatable. But what about the 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 two-year term? I'm curious your reaction on the Gavrikov contract that we saw, which was helped facilitated by Tuesday's trade with Columbus and Philly.
3: Yeah, you know, as, as I'm, you know, I, it, it did surprise me. I didn't think it would it would be two years. But we're talking two years at what five and change, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean it's it's a number that I didn't think that they would, you know, I didn't think they'd want to go to it, but you had to go to it. And I think based upon where some of their other contracts are at right now, I think two makes sense. I don't think that they feel, you know, that he is, you know, necessarily the uh, you know, let's revisit it in 2 years. Let's see where where this goes. I you know, like I said, they've got a lot of defensemen in their system. And I just think when you look, I just think this roster in two years is going to look very different because you got to just see, you know, especially where, what happens with their captain, how much longer is he going to play? I mean, we could just see a very different roster. And like I said, Victor Arvidsson's situation that, that I think Victor Arvidsson, I mean, he's, uh, you know, his biggest problem, Pat, is health, but man, when he's healthy, he may even be a better passer than he is a goal scorer, um, they don't have a guy to replace him in, in, in the system right now, whereas they do have guys to, you know, they do have defensemen. Now they don't have a big left shot D that's been that's been their Achilles' heel. So yeah. I'm not necessarily surprised that that it's only two years. A
1: few more with Jonathan Davis. He's our NHL Network uh, Pacific Division insider. NHL Network, NHL Network Radio joins us Wednesdays. Uh the other SoCal team making some news this week as well. They've made their decision at head coach. It's Greg Cronin, who they decide to go with, who's been the head coach of the Colorado Eagles in the American League for the last five years. Tell us a little bit more about him and your reaction to Anaheim's decision to go down that road and replacing Dallas Akins.
3: Well, I mean, I like the fact that they're giving, you know, a, a guy a, a chance and a fresh start who's never been you know an NHL head coach before and has done a, a really good job in Colorado but you know here here's the thing Pat for me there there's still a lot of issues that need to be corrected with this roster and i, I think you know that that's really you know you can bring in whatever coach you want and i don't think Dallas Akin's did a bad job but i think that th- what this team needs right now Pat is they they need a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who can help, I think, straighten out some of the younger kids in that room. Because, look, I, I love what Zegras brings on the ice. I just think, you know, from what I'm hearing from people, there's, you know, there's, there's a cockiness. And I understand it. But they need someone to kind of just, they need that mature player uh, who can play in their top six and, and really help this roster big time. I don't think it matters who the coach is right now. They, they need some more NHL-experienced veterans that can contribute um, in, in a significant way.
1: So what I'm hearing is you think they're still a little ways away from being competitive, hey?
3: I do. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And we still have to straighten out what happens in goal. Like, you know, does John does John Gibson get moved? I mean, We'll see, but even if Gibson gets moved, and and I think you know, I think Dostal is a, is, a, is a goalie that has shown that you know he he can play, and I think he, I think he could carry you know a significant load uh, of games, you know, even even if he was to be a one A and one B situation. But they need forwards to take the pressure off the kids both on and off the ice. That's that's really the big thing I, I, that Anaheim for me needs right now
1: final uh final topic and that would be the Seattle Kraken last week extending Ron Francis as general manager and you know there were a lot of there, there was a lot of criticism on the way Francis went about his business in expansion like they chose that player instead of that guy. This guy was available and they went with this. And and year 1 was was not a great year. They did not have the Cinderella story in in year 1 uh, like Vegas did, but they get to the playoffs in year 2 and boy, they make some noise and they win a playoff round and it was uh, uh and they 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 eliminate the defending Stanley Cup champions for heaven's sake. The, the Seattle Kraken have turned themselves into a, a pretty solid organization in year two. I'm just curious your thoughts on the job Ron Francis has done here.
3: Well, I, you, you can't argue with it. There, there's no question about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he learned, you know, he learned from Vegas. Uh, and, and, and I think other teams also may have learned, you know, from from the Vegas expansion and, and how they would go about in protecting players. And so I think that, you know, Ron Francis was realistic that, hey, look, you know, I don't necessarily – I don't need to make a splash in year one. I mean, look, Bill Foley, you know, had the approach, uh, you know, that what he said, he said to his, his organization, we are going to make the playoffs within year three and we're going to win a cup by year six. I'm not sure if, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer and, and, uh, and Laiwiki and everyone else is part of that management and or- ownership group. In Seattle felt that that was necessary so you know Ron exercised his patience and hey it's uh it paid off this year and'' we'll, we'll and it's paid off for him in, in a well deserved extension you can't argue with what this team is doing I mean, the again the philosophy is is that the sum of the parts is great has been greater than any one individual yeah when you look at I don't think anyone in their former group Pat played less than ten minutes a game so uh you know, hey, everybody feels a part of it, and you know, credit to Ron Francis. And and look, the other big surprise was, I I think Pat, did we expect Dave Hatstall you know, to do the to to be the guy? Like I didn't like when when they first named him, like really, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, didn't didn't you know? So it's worked, it's worked in Seattle, and uh, you know, Ron, Ron Francis is the architect, and and
1: give him credit for it. A lot of people wonder whether or not there'll be a team that drops off next year. This year, they, they make the playoffs. They they have the year they did, but maybe maybe not poised to repeat next year. Where do you fall on that?
3: Well, but I don't think anybody necessarily played above their weight. I mean, you know, look, Jared McCann scored 40. Uh, look, that was a surprise. But again, you know, you had guys that all got to contribute, and no one was asked to, you know, to to do too much. They I said, the way the ice time was spread out. And let's remember, they're going to have Shane Wright next year, you would think, on that roster. So, you know, there's potentially a really nice addition, right, and a nice finish, you know, in, in the AHL. Uh, so, you know, and then you had the kid that was brought up, um, oh, my God, uh, scored his first shift. Uh,
1: Seattle. Yeah, now I, uh, <sighs> I know I, what you're talking you know, about. Now I can't remember. I'm going to go find it while you continue talking.
3: Yeah. So. Oh, Karchin. You
1: know, um. Ty Karchin. Yeah.
3: Your crack research staff, Mr. Vickers. I, did he come up with that? Yes, Vickers, he did.
1: Vickers, Vickers, uh, Vickers screamed it at me. Quick Google fingers. Ah, <laughs>
3: uh, there you go. Give him an extra, an extra five bucks now, right?
1: Oh, that's. Whoa, whoa! What do you think? What we're do you mean, an extra? What's this
2: extra stuff I keep <laughs>
1: hearing about? Yeah, he said, uh, "This is all contrived."
3: <laughs> okay, I'll give you half my salary, Aaron.
1: <laughs> yeah, we pay you good too.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so yeah. We
3: digress, but yeah. So I, 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 I really, I don't think so. I don't necessarily see the fall off in, in Seattle, and and Pat, the other thing was, and I, we talked about it a couple times during the year, but I still go back to a conversation with John Forsman, their broadcaster. Who said to me the biggest one of the biggest things that hurt them in year one was COVID. The guys didn't get a chance to really bond and get to know each other. That changed immediately, you know, before they hit the ice in year two, you know, as the restrictions changed. And you know that was something that he said to me back in like November, December um, of the season, and not something that he said in the playoffs. So that was you know something that he recognized early on.
1: Good to uh, catch up with you, as always, my friend. We had uh, some crack research right in the middle of it, and, hey, lots of stuff going on in this Pacific Division, even though there's only one team in it still playing. Thanks for joining us, as always. We'll do it again next week, hey?
3: All right, bud. Take care.
1: Jonathan Davis, he is our Pacific Division Insider, NHL Network, NHL Network Radio. He joins us Wednesdays, and he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. That was some good... I should have
2: just said it was off the top of my head, right? That would have been more impressive. Sold myself out.
1: Could have really... Really pump those future considerations, chops. You, uh you marching. live, you learn, you dribble, you shoot, you hope for the best. I, pre- I, I appreciate the honesty. The honesty's good. He's Vickers. I'm Steinberg. This is Sportsnet today. Around the corner, pour a little cold water. I hate to do this, but we'll pour some cold water. Not even us. There will just there, there. was some cold water poured on one of the more popular Flames social media trade rumors out there. Uh, we will uh, we'll hear why there was cold water poured on it when we come back. That says Sportsnet today continues, and at the top of the hour, it's Flames talk right here on Sportsnet nine sixty the fan.
4: Back to Sportsnet today on Sportsnet nine sixty the fan.
1: Well, there's been a lot of talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets potentially moving their third overall selection at the 2023 NHL draft later this month. Welcome back. Sportsnet today. Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you. And one of the hottest social media trade rumors Ooh. out there, it's, it's, been, it's been buzzed about. It's, you know, a lot of the, the, the different fan accounts, Flames accounts, Flames fans have been, and, and even on our text line a lot about, well, Flames need to go out and see if the third overall selection is in play from Columbus make Lindholm a package or or part of the package that would get the Flames number 3 overall. Wes and I talked a little bit about this last week on Flames Talk. It just it seems very unrealistic because third overall picks don't move. Like the last and, and they certainly don't move in the fashion that this is being talked about, right? right? Like they don't move for players and the, okay sometimes you'll see somebody move up from two to three or something like that but the last time a pick that high actually moved in in the fashion that a lot of people are talking about I think was the Sedins in that would have been my guess and even
2: a top 10 pick moving for a player is it Schneider Corey Schneider, Schneider to Jersey for the Horvat? yeah pick?
1: that that or I think that's it I think mean, that's the last time that you know a and and there I did there the might research. Be one I'm I, I did the research last week, and now I forget. but there have not been a lot of uh, there was a, there's been some top fifteen, but top ten picks that have moved in that fashion. Um, I think one of them, there might have been one. In the Seth Jones deal in 2021 that moved. What was the JT Miller from Tampa to Vancouver? What pick number was that? I don't think it was a top 10, but I don't... I'm
2: just spitballing off the top of my head here because I certainly haven't done the research, but I do feel like I'm missing one. So I figure if I just toss out enough names, eventually I'll hit something. That said, you're not giving me a note of affirmation, so I'm assuming I missed.
1: Um... It was the number 20 overall. Oh, yeah, not even close. And doesn't it was count. also it was also a pick in the next year's draft. Okay. It was a twenty. it was done in 2019 with a 2020 first round pick as part of it. All right, Project then it
2: just it just doesn't happen. Like yeah. when you mentioned it, you have to go back to two three with the Sedins in ninety-nine yeah. to a scenario where that number three has been moved.
1: Uh, This was Aaron Portsline uh, a little earlier on this Wednesday on Sportsnet today with Logan and uh, logo was talking to Aaron Portsline of the athletic who covers the Columbus blue jackets, honestly better than anybody does. And uh, yeah, he doesn't see that third overall pick moving either.
3: It's really, really
0: hard for me to see any situation in which they move that pick Uh, to me. That, that, that pick is the reward for what was an awful season. Uh, This draft, is really unique and really special for them uh, specifically because they have a chronic and desperate need for center ice play. And this draft is really good at center ice, and it's not always like that. They're where they need to be. They'd like to be a little bit higher. The lottery was once again a kick in the teeth for the Blue Jackets. They've had less luck than anybody in the lottery, and they, they slid again from two to three. They were hoping to get Bedard, or Fantilli, now, that, now they got to wait and see who's sitting for them three, probably Smith or Carlson. But I don't see any scenario unless there's something coming out of, out of just the clear blue sky that we've not seen before. I don't see someone fixing center ice for them in a trade that would involve the number three overall pick.
1: So, if, and I don't think that's all that much of a surprise when you really think about it. Uh, this is This is a very, very significant pick and it's one of the deepest if not deepest draft in decades i just it doesn't make a a ton of sense to suggest that that number three overall pick would ever have been on the move let alone in a deal like i i don't think it's out of the question that the flames if they felt like they had to trade elias lindholm could target columbus's landing spot for him. I think that's a, a an interesting conversation to have. I just don't think the number three overall pick would uh, be a part or or the type of asset that would come back the other way.
2: I would have bought into this more if the rumor started today, started Wednesday, as opposed to what a month ago or so, somewhere in that range. Because yes, Tuesday saw the Columbus Blue Jackets move a first round pick in a deal that brought that's the in other twenty six year old. Another first round pick. Now they're less likely to move another one, but. If they're diverging off the path of rebuild to wanting to contend immediately, and we talked on Tuesday about Johnny Goudreau maybe altering the course of their plan a little bit, and you've got a GM in Jarmo Kekalainen who is probably feeling a lot of heat after making a move like that, after making a couple different signings last year and not fielding a team that was nearly as competitive as they probably hoped, wanting to accelerate that open window of competitiveness and moving that number three pick. But if you look at their roster, both what they have now and what they're going to have in the next year to two years, Leo Carlson fits this mold of Ken Johnson, Cole Sillinger, Stanis Van Sfozel, David Yurichek, Denton Matichuk, Karel Marchenko, much more than an Elias Lindholm does. And I understand the excitement or the idea or, or how this would have gained steam simply because the guy going to Columbus had a career year, 40 goals, 80 points, riding shotgun to Johnny Goudreau, and maybe that relationship helps nurture it. But I just don't see, and I'll do respect to Elias Lindholm and the Calgary Flames, I don't know what that package would have to look like in order to move off an asset like Leo Carlson, who is a legit top three player in this draft. I think there might even be some whispers, some intrigue over whether or not what he was able to do at the World Championship versus Adam Fantilli in different scenarios on different rosters, of course. But Leo Carlson was a number one center who ended up sliding a little bit over to the wing, whereas Adam Fantilli was more of a little bit of a depth player. But you see Leo Carlson on that international ice, and he's bigger than 6'3". I can tell you that right now after standing across from him. And now you're looking at a guy that could project to be a top 15, number one center, if he hits his development curve properly, that is going to be asset controlled for however many years at an entry-level contract first and foremost, and then whether it be a bridge or a long-term contract, he's going to be cheaper and longer to control than an Elias Lindholm. And with what the what the Columbus Blue Jackets, pardon me, have in terms of their prospect covered and in terms of their first year and second year NHLers, Leo Carlson
1: fits that group more than Elias Lindholm does to me. Well, and look, again, I could see Lindholm being a guy that Columbus wants. I could see Calgary looking at Columbus and saying they've got a need for center. And and so I don't think that the connection between the two teams is far-fetched. I just think it's far-fetched to believe that the type of asset the Flames might get back in return would be number three overall. And And look, I understand that... The, it wouldn't be just that. All I'm saying is that I, in this draft, Columbus is not moving number three overall, and, and especially not moving it to move down 13 spots to pick 16. Lindholm's great, but Lindholm's almost 29, and who the hell knows if he even would want to re-sign that's, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's the
2: key thing, because this isn't a two-team trade. This is a three-party deal. You need the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Calgary Flames to come to terms on the swap-on price, And you need Elias Lindholm to give the green light on what's probably going to be an eight-year contract somewhere in the neighborhood of $8 million. Or more. To spend that time in Columbus. And he's one year away removed from having the pick of 32 teams, essentially. I imagine he can alter his price to land on any one of those 32 teams. Mm -hmm. Those teams will find a way. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be $8 million plus across the 32-team landscape. But this is a guy that is three hundred and eighty days ish away from being able to pick his destination as opposed to opting for okay, maybe it's Calgary, maybe it's Columbus, so on and so forth. Yeah. Like he's got a lot of stay, say, a lot of stake in what happens to him, just like Matthew Kachuk did. And that's assuming He's he's open to he's open to work on a trade versus re-signing with the Calgary Flames as well.
1: Well, look, and again, I still think the the number one thing the Flames need to do is try to re-sign correct Elias Lindholm. It's just that's been out there a lot. We see it on the text line all the time. Like, could this happen? Is this going to happen? Um, it's it's never been you know it's 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 never been anything more than a fun rumor, but. It's also one that we see a lot of. I just when you hear Aaron Portsline, who covers the Blue Jackets closer than anybody, and is more dialed in on that team than anybody, and you hear him say he does not see a circumstance where they move that number three overall pick, and especially now after they move the pick they got in the LA trade at the deadline, so they no longer have that number twenty two overall pick. I just can't see it, and and with the player that you're going. You're still going to get a good player at 16 where the Flames pick, but the difference between what you're going to get at 16 and what you're going to get at three, I don't think a 28, 29-year-old Elias Lindholm or other pieces is is going to make up for that. The the type of player that you could get to build a franchise around at number three overall to bridge that 13-pick gap to, to have a, a pick swap even be part of it. I think is going to be a ridiculous price to pay.
2: You're gunning for a franchise center if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets picking at three. And that's not to say that a player at 16 cannot develop into a franchise type player, but that's not the expectation in the middle of the first round of the draft. That's usually reserved for the top two, top three. In this case, we could possibly see the top four, top five picks be that for a particular team. But that's not the expectation placed on a guy that's going to go 16 in this draft class.
1: Um, okay, so I just wanted I don't like to pour cold water on things. but Well, you're I, just relaying. I, I heard that you're, earlier on Wednesday with Logan on Sportsnet today. I, I heard Portsline talking to him. I was like, okay, well, uh, that's probably, that's a pretty important, uh, that's a pretty important question to uh, ask. And then a pretty important answer to replay. So I wanted to, uh, wanted to do that. Game four, uh, sorry, Game four of the Stanley Cup Final will happen, but not before Game three of that the Stanley Cup Final. That is the Cup correct Final. order, yes. Typically, Game three of the Stanley Cup Final goes Thursday night in Florida. Both teams have arrived in South Florida and will play at six o'clock Thursday night, and then a Saturday night game for Game four. Can Florida? make it a series again back on home ice or does vegas take a complete stranglehold of this thing in game number three we'll have it for you at six o'clock live right here on sportsnet 960 the fan on thursday both teams have arrived want to hear a little bit from uh i listened to paul Maurice. there wasn't a lot of juicy stuff in there sergey Bobrovsky will get the start though so there's been I I don't really think there was ever a question as to who was going to start in net, but now it's confirmed it will be Sergei Bobrovsky getting the start in net for Florida in Game 3 after he got pulled in Game 2. But wanted to play a little bit of Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and his meeting with the media Wednesday in Florida because, hey, his team's got a 2-0 series lead. They've been doing a lot of good things. Here's head coach Bruce Cassidy, part of his chat with the media on Wednesday after practice
4: you've got four captains other teams in your locker room you have a group of guys that have been there since the beginning with this golden knights team when you arrived were you ever surprised or impressed by how everything kind of comes together without there being a bunch of egos or clicks or things like that in that room well you never know right there's a lot of good players top end guys so you got to sort through that um some of that's coming on us as a staff to make sure we get that message across that it's about the the crest on the front not the name on the back and still have respect for the you know the, what they've accomplished so there's always that balance um and and then you go to character right They we just have good guys they're good guys they're, they're willing to do whatever you know is asked and 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 as long as they believe in it i think they believe in our style of play there's good defensive structure there's accountability but there's also freedom in the offensive side of things we're not watts out there so i think it's worked well for our group and it's really shown here this well. Uh, so has been so good for so long now. I think it's easy to forget how much he scuffled at, to build a career. And oftentimes those guys stay hungry, right? Cause they had to work for it. Do you see that in him? Uh, I mean, everybody knows what he means to the crew. Yeah. do you see, as far as the fire, there's a lot of that. And, and even internal in practice every day, he's, he's that guy that wants to outperform. If he's in a white sweater and the other guys in a gray, then he wants to outperform him. So that's just who marshy is he's a competitive guy with um you know with everything he does it's certainly in practice when it's those type of drills sometimes the flow of drills is you know you see the best out of our group when when our practice isn't going well we try to build in something competitive a two-on-two two, a three-on-three three, small ice game anything to get going so he's a lot like the rest of our now it matters something's on that at stake it's not just a coach blowing the whistle for a drill that he thinks got health or something like that it's it's competitiveness where they get to compete against another marshy is probably the top guy at that And there's a little bit of that history right he's had to battle he's went through different teams in the american league and different teams in the nhl and and uh you know good for him it's a good mentality it works for him um and uh he's never to the point where he feels like he can rest or be comfortable and like i said it's worked well for his career and it's working well for him just wondering about, you just mentioned the physicality, and you guys have been able to play within a framework. Uh, what's been the messaging for you guys to play that physical tough brand of hockey but stay disciplined and the fact it's been effective even when the Panthers maybe try to drag you into some other events? Well, we could play that game, and I think our guys are veteran enough guys that they keep their cool and their composure. I mean, no one likes to get hit. No one likes to see Jack Eichel get hit or anybody for that matter. and a Matty hit coming through the middle. It is a little bit of playoff hockey where you have to balance your response um with discipline and and keep it in check and and we're trying to do those things i think some of it the, the messaging is i mean petro's wanna cup phil kessel wanna cup martinez and barbie you know they've been there they've seen it and and it so it comes from internally that this is part of it there you have the scrums to me sometimes you got to take a punch in the face that's just the way it works and and hopefully you stay out of them and And you don't get on the wrong side of those, but Nick Hayes done that as well as anybody. I think we were prepped for this a little bit through the Edmonton series too. That one got a little nasty and we're able to get through it and um, come out out the other side all right. So I think we we were prepared a little bit for this type of series and I think we've handled fine so far.
1: There's Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. That was from earlier on this Wednesday in Florida. Game four goes tomorrow, Thursday night in Florida. For the Panthers and Golden Knights, Florida needs a win to keep this series uh, realistically alive. I know they came back from down three-one to the Boston Bruins, but let's be honest: we know what the stakes are going into Game Three. We know what uh, what's really at you know what really needs to happen if Florida wants to make this a series once again. I still feel like the Panthers need to be heard from. I still feel like I know there's a lot of people talking about yeah. Maybe maybe Cinderella has has sung the swan song, and the Panthers have just run up against too good an opponent, too dialed an opponent. I'm not quite there yet. I've got nothing bad to say about what Vegas has done. In fact, I think Vegas has has impressed. And you know, if you uh, listened on Monday's show, I don't buy into the them cheating or asterisks if they win the Stanley Cup. I think that's bunk. But I still, with with Florida's resiliency, with what we've seen from Matthew Kachuk throughout this postseason, hell, even what we've seen from Sergei Bobrovsky, it feels like there's at least one more punch to be thrown here by the Florida Panthers. We'll see if they can throw it when it still matters in Game 3 tomorrow night.
2: There's an old playoff cliche, and I don't know if it still holds true in text line 960-960. Please tell me you heard about this, because when I asked a player, I can't remember the team, I think it might have been 2019 or whatever playoff run, You're never in trouble until you lose on home ice. The Florida Panthers haven't lost on home ice yet. So if they're just able to take care of what they can over the course of game three and game four, it's a new series. But you're not wrong in saying that this is critical. So according to our friends at Money Puck, Florida Panthers still have a 20.5% chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Okay, They lose game three, it drops to 3%.
1: It seems high. Be- being 3% down. seems high. They're
2: always optimistic. You know this. That's true. But that is a dramatic swing if you're the Florida Panthers. Trying to crawl your way out of a three-hole deficit in the Stanley Cup final just doesn't happen. So game three, yeah, you got to win four games to win a series. But to win four games, you got to win one. Starts with game three for the Florida Panthers.
1: They need Matthew Kachuk to get out of the... Um, antics creating mode that he's been in over the last number of games, last couple of games. They need him to be the guy who's scoring clutch goals, driving his line. Yes, he gets under his face, gets under the skin of the opponents. That's what he is. He's turned into and certain that certain fan bases. Absolutely. Um, just ask Edmonton or Vancouver or Toronto or Los Angeles when he was a member of the flames. But, when he goes out of his way to be that agitator, he becomes so much less effective. He is naturally that agitating type player. But part of that is because he's so damn good on top of how good he chirps and that stupid smirk yeah. and and the mouth guard falling out of the, the mouth, all of what goes into the Matthew Kachuk package. When he tries too hard to get under the skin of the opposition, he is not anywhere near as effective. He needs to figure that out, or Florida does not have a chance of making this a series.
2: If you're going to chirp me for 60 minutes, but you're only going to play four of them, you're probably not going to impact me in any way. But if you're going to chirp me for 60 minutes and throw the extra punch and throw the extra slash, and you're going to play 22 minutes a night, and you're going to score twice and have an assist, you're probably going to bug me a little bit. Yeah, That's what Matthew Kachuk needs to get back to. And it's not even just scoring goals and producing offensively. He just needs to do the 75-25 role where he's playing 75%, agitating 25%. Right now, he's agitating 75%, and it's to the detriment of his own game and his own team.
1: As we said uh, on Tuesday's show, it feels a lot like the Matthew Kachuk we saw in the Dallas series and the way that he kind of twisted himself in knots to get to John Klingberg and that never really helped the team. And he didn't really get out of it until the end of that series. And credit to him scored a pretty important, uh, pretty important goal in game seven and helping the flames come away with that victory. One text before we wrap up sports Net today, this hour, uh, our buddy Wedley has a request. He says, you got to ask Dion. If the Panthers are done, we have tracked down Dion Phaneuf just before the end of the hour, and uh, Dion Phaneuf has his thoughts on if the Panthers are done or not.
0: Right now, I'm focused on on playing, mm-hmm. playing hockey, and and keeping keeping on going in the right direction okay, with, with Dion, our team not, here. We uh, first and foremost that's what that's what I'm focused on. And Dion, you're not answering the other stuff uh, that will take care of itself.
1: But Dion, could you just add, if Is the series over? I'm optimistic because until it's canceled, it's not canceled. Okay, I guess that's a little bit better. That'll do it for Sportsnet today. We've been coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Next up. Flames Talk, stay with us. We got lots to get to on our uh, Wednesday edition of Flames Talk. Latest on the coaching search. How close are we? And an interesting little goaltending topic that Elliot Friedman threw out today. All that. Next on Flames Talk, we kick off at about 5 on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.